Hello everyone and welcome. My name is Andrew. And I'm Rachel. And we are Picture the Scene Podcast. We are a true crime podcast aimed to put you, the listener, at the scene of the crime. Each week we delve into the murky world of lesser known crimes from the UK and Ireland and occasionally we venture into renowned cases from around the globe. As with any true crime podcast, listener discretion is always advised and today's episode is no exception. If you like what you hear, please do follow us on whatever social media platform you prefer, subscribe to us on your preferred podcast platform of choice, and if you have the capability, give us a rating and review. It does really mean the world to us. And we got a lovely one from Germany, didn't we, recently? It was sparkling, wasn't it, our review from Germany? It was sparkling, yes. It really did cheer me up on that day. I think I was having a bit of a crappy day, so it was good. good to read it. So thank you, everyone. And please do keep sending them in. And if you like us that much that you want to support us, you can do so for less than the price of a cup of tea or coffee on Patreon with our lowest tier starting at £1 per month. We release bonus content every month. The links to our social medias and Patreon can be found in the show notes or visit patreon.com forward slash scenepod that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash s-c-e-n-e-p-o-d and we do, where possible, now release our episodes a week early for our Patreon supporters. So you don't have to find a lamp and robot and use one of your free wishes to time travel. <laughs> All you need to do is subscribe to us on Patreon. So, Rachel, I can take a breath now I've done the intro. How are you doing? I'm really good, thank you. How are you? I am sparkling, thank you Yay. very much. Yeah, Woo-hoo. indeed. We like it when you're sparkling because it means you're in a good mood. Yes, yes, indeed. And listeners, it sometimes it's quite hard to be in a, in such a good mood so early on a Friday morning. Yes, although I have the day off today, Rachel. Oh, that's why you're in a good mood. Yes, my out of office is on, and that's my most favourite thing in the world, turning my automatic replies on, and I am not working today. But back at work Monday, but I've had most of this week off, so it's good. Question is, Rachel, are you ready for some true crime? I was born ready, Andrew. That's what your mum tells me. Right, so <laughs> let's get to this then. And if it's safe for you to do so, I'd like you to relax. Close your eyes and picture the scene. Today I'd like to take us back to March the 30th, 2014, and we're visiting the town of Eastley in Hampshire. Eastley is a town in the southeast of England not far from Southampton, and it has a population of around 24,000 people. It has been around in one form or another since the Saxons around 1,300 years ago. Now, I'm not going to draw on easily much, because from what I could tell, it's not really known for much. It's most famous person born there, and I seem to think you really like this person, Rachel. I have no idea. Uh, the most famous person seems to be Scott Mills, the radio DJ. I don't mind Scott Mills. And, uh, you know, that really segues me nicely into something I forgot to celebrate earlier. This week I got Taylor Swift tickets. And uh, Scott Mills is a massive fan of our Tay-Tay, isn't he? I have no idea, but <laughs> congratulations on the Taylor Swift tickets. You could sell them and pay your mortgage off. Not a chance. These things are, oh, it's the best thing about 2024 so far, apart from our newborn baby. Well, technically that's 2023, isn't it? Yes, exactly. But old news by then. 
<laughs> She'll still be a newborn in <laughs> early 2024. Yeah, so no, I'm sorry joking. in advance to my future newborn. It was on this day, so on the 30th of March 2014, so roughly 10 years before you're going to see Taylor Swift, <laughs> it was around 4.30 in the morning. There was a brisk easterly wind blowing at around 10 miles per hour. It was dry. It was still dark. There was a few scattered clouds. And even though it's 6 degrees Celsius, which is around 42 degrees Fahrenheit, that easterly wind would have made it feel a lot colder. Now, not many people would be up and outside, would they, Rachel, at this time in the morning, on a cold day, but some brave souls had ventured outside of their warm beds. One of these souls that was no longer in bed at the time was Chowdhury Sisan, who was a local business owner in Eastleigh. Chowdhury owned a news, news agent. So for him getting up at the crack of dawn, or in this instance actually before dawn, it was a normal thing and something he was used to. Chowdhury was the type of person who was always looking forward to the future. And even though money was never a big interest for him, he worked hard to make money because he was married with one child, a five-year-old son, and his wife was pregnant with a second child, and they really meant the world to him, so he worked hard whenever he could for their future. He was 35, and he was well known in the area for being a kind and gentle man who wouldn't hurt a fly. Oh, he, he sounds was... like a really nice guy. Yeah, from what I can gather, he was. And he, he was well-liked. One of the reasons why he was well-liked, Rachel, because he made sure he was a part of the community and he would do things like hand-deliver grocery, groceries at no extra cost if there were elderly or sick customers of his who couldn't get to his shop. Do you know what? I Like, pre-COVID, you never heard of that, did you? It's only really, like, during lockdowns that people really started to kind of thinking about their community again wasn't it so how amazing yeah. that this is back in 2014 and this man is is doing everything he can to help the vulnerable in his community what a guy yeah exactly and his respect for family and the community probably stemmed or at least it was helped by the fact that he was from a big family mm. with his parents having four sons and two daughters in total and he was close to all of his siblings and also, just to tell you, show you how much he went above and beyond for his community, he was even looking after an elderly neighbour, performing tasks and other things for her, just to help her, because she was getting old and couldn't do as much things for herself. So getting back to the morning in question, Chowdhury had just left his wife and child asleep in their flat, and his flat was above his shop. So as he went downstairs and outside of his shop, he was walking towards his car, we assumed to get something, but we don't know. And as he was walking towards his car, two men approached him, standing either side of him, and one of the men put their arm around Chowdhury, and then both of them started talking to him. We don't know what was said, but CCTV did capture this, so we know it happened. Now, it was obvious that Chowdhury did not want to talk to the two, but they persisted, and eventually it turned violent, with them punching and kicking him. Oh, as, no. Yeah, as Chowdhury dropped to the floor, one of the men grabbed his head and put him in a headlock, while the other man made punches and kicks, actually, down on his head. 
Oh my goodness. And what this is still very early on in the morning, right? Yeah, this is about half past four in the morning. Oh my god. On a Sunday morning. Yeah, the, the two men then proceeded to throw Chowdhury about almost akin to a ragdoll, slamming his head, and he was actually unconscious by now, slamming his head several times into parked cars before eventually stealing his wallet, which contained cash and cards, his mobile phone, and his cigarettes. And they just left him unconscious in a crumpled heap on the floor. Such was the brutalness of the attack. Several members of the public, but thankfully not Chowdhury's wife or son, because she didn't want to hear this, woke up from their sleep and multiple 999 calls were made to the emergency services while the attack was actually still happening. So there's 999 calls all out there, and I've, I've heard some of them were actually describing what's happening to the emergency services as it's happening. Mm. The witnesses described how the attack lasted for around six minutes, and they described how at the start, Chowdhury was just laid on the floor, crying out in pain, asking for them to stop, while the pair of men repeatedly kicked him in the head. And you've got to remember, he was just yards from his home because his flat was above his shop. Yeah. So the police and an ambulance, they rushed to the scene. But by the time the police had arrived, the perpetrators had fled and all they found was Chowdhury unconscious on the floor. Now, the paramedics, they worked tirelessly to try to save his life, with him being rushed to the hospital in critical condition. And even though Chowdhury made it to the hospital, hospital alive, such were the severity of his injuries, he died as a result of severe brain injuries. Oh, God. The two men who attacked and killed Chowdhury did so purely with the initial intentions to rob him, but that became a secondary priority quite quickly. And they simply attacked him because they could. You're joking me. No. I thought I thought you were going to ask me, like, why I thought they attacked him. And I was going to say that in a case of potentially, like, mistaken identity, like somebody might have had a vendetta against him. Or um, you quite often hear of, like, businessmen, um, like small businessmen, um, you know, taking out, like, loans, don't you, that are quite, like, usually high interest rates because they're, like, from dodgy people. And that that he he might have like not necessarily made payments or something, but they literally jumped on him at half four in the morning to rob him. Initially, that, yes. That is appalling. Like, I, I I don't understand. Like, had they planned? I mean, you're going to go into this. I won't st- carry on asking questions. I'm sorry. No, ask questions. It's interesting you say that because. What you said, I, I initially thought maybe it was like mistaken identity or the old money and stuff like that. It's interesting as to what comes out in the court case. Oh, so okay. we'll put a pin in that. But but no, I, you know, honestly, it looked like they killed him. But, no, sorry, they attacked him because they wanted to rob him. But that soon turned into because that soon turned into just an attack because they could. Jeez. It sounds like they staked him out, though, and obviously we're familiar with his routine. Um, so they must have been, like, watching him for a couple of days or weeks as well. Um, Unless well, it was opportunistic and you tell me they were just walking past. And... Well, I'll tell you what, let's get into it and I'll, I'll, okay. I'll find out. So the names of the two men 
with Jonathan and Samuel McKinley, and they were 23 and 25, respectively. They were brothers, by the way, if you had a guest. Yeah, um, I guessed. They were both local men, with Jonathan coming from the local area of Chandler's Ford, and his brother was technically homeless, but it was a situation where he had no official fixed abode, but was living somewhere, he wasn't homeless. And a lot of the times in this situation, it's more to do with benefit payments, so the person that they're living with can still claim as a single person. Oh. They're not, not technically homeless. So the brothers, they'd gone out the night before, because it was Saturday night, so they'd gone out drinking. They started their night at various, at various friends' houses, drinking heavily before moving on to the Lytton Tree Pub in Eastleigh, which is near the train station. It was obvious to the customers in the pub that the pair were spoiling for a fight. And, and Jonathan was actually barred from the pub and all the other local pubs as he was on a pub watch scheme. But because he looked so alike to his brother, they got confused, the staff at the pub that is, about which one was actually barred, so they just let both of them stay. Oh, fabulous. Yeah, you can both stay and drink instead of both being ejected from the premises. That makes perfect sense. I know, it's odd, isn't it? Yep. Now, I said it was obviously the customers in the pub that they were spoiling for a fight, because they were. Because they were trying to provoke them. The brothers were trying to provoke the other customers in the pub. They were threatening them and making them uncomfortable, so much so that one of the groups in the pub actually called the police on the pair that night. When the police arrived, they opted not to arrest the pair, but to try to defuse the situation which they did enough to their own satisfaction, so they left the pub and everything calmed down. Wow. It's not going to sit well with the police that they had them essentially in their hands earlier that night and then they went on to commit the crime they went on to commit. No, it's not. No, it's not. I wish you could see my script, but no, it's not. Once they left the pub when it was closed, by now they were completely drunk, if you hadn't guessed. They made their way to another of their friend's house, and between them, they drank a litre of vodka. Once that was finished, they went out in search of more alcohol. By now, it was after 3am. By 4am, they found themselves in the centre of Eastleigh again, and they were still worrying the few people that were still out and about, again so much so that a member of the public called the police about the pair, and when the police arrived... They warned the pair about their hostile behaviour and let them go on their way. Now, the police spoke to them at 10 past four in the morning. And they oh. left, yes, and they left them at 4.15, so just 15 minutes before they came across Chowdhury. Jesus. And you'd, you'd think if they were that tanked that, as you say, they were on a mission to, to kill him, um, that the police would have picked up on the state of mind and their behavior being that that couldn't be controlled you'd you'd have hoped so wouldn't you yeah you'd hope so yeah but unless yeah, no. of course they were able to mask those um what not symptoms but you know unless of course they were able to mask their true colors for that brief five minutes and yes officer we're going to go home officer sorry officer and you know yeah, I mean, you don't know, but yeah, it's it's worrying. Now, yeah. I'm not going to go into what happened with Chowdhury again, because I already have, but once they left him on the floor, 
they went on to one of their friends' houses and Andrea Palmer, where they put their now bloodstained clothes and trainers in her washing machine and put them on a two-hour cycle at 90 degrees. It oh, was wow. what they what they put in. They didn't put all their clothes in. They put in a pair of jeans, one top, and a pair of trainers. Wow. Now, Andrea didn't actually know they were in her house because she was asleep. And she actually woke to find them outside of her bedroom door. Oh, my God. So I'm not sure if they had clothes at her house or they got them from elsewhere, but they were both fully dressed. Regard- and they both had trainers on, even though they put them... Put, put some in the wash, so maybe they got some hair. I, I don't know. We don't know where they got them from. But obviously, when, when she found them, she kicked them out of her house because it was by now like 5 a.m. or something similar to that. And then when she went downstairs to check they hadn't damaged or stolen anything, I mean, imagine not having friends like that where you have to check they haven't stolen anything. Yeah. It was then that she found the washing machine was on. Now, at around 9 a.m. that Sunday morning, so around four and a half hours after the attack, the pair chatted rather bizarrely to a couple walking their baby in the park. Now, I say bizarrely because they spoke mainly about Mother's Day and breastfeeding with the couple. Now, it was a very one-sided conversation with the couple being polite to try and get rid of these pair of drunken men as quickly as possible. How scary was that? Were you taking your baby for a walk in the morning like you're a very young baby and suddenly a pair of drunken men come up to you and start talking about breastfeeding and Mother's Day and whatnot. Oh, absolutely. I can imagine that woman was in like blind panic about like her escape route and what to do. Yeah. And and the thing is as well, like it's it's normal behaviour like in the early hours of the morning or late at night to take your baby for a walk, to desperately get them off to sleep. Like you then don't want to be like cornered i'm not saying they were intimidating but you just don't want anyone talking to you let alone two drunks and about yeah. quite personal things as well and when you've got a newborn baby i'm assuming here to tell me if i'm wrong rachel but you'd feel more vulnerable anyway so even if they weren't outwards being aggressive you'd feel threatened because you could tell they were drunk and you've got your baby with you it's a natural like parental instincts isn't it yeah exactly so a few hours later, they were arrested outside of Samuel's girlfriend's flat on Monk's Way in Eastleigh. Now, I was going to put the clip of them getting arrested in between for us to listen to, but to be honest, listeners, it's really bad audio, and no one really wants to hear that, and it hurting your eardrums. But if you really, really want to, it's on YouTube. But between them, when arrested, they showed shock and surprise at being arrested for murder. They repeatedly called the police stupid because they wouldn't kill anyone. And they also kept asking if they could explain themselves. It's weird how they kept saying they wouldn't kill anyone, but also wanted to explain themselves. Isn't it? it? Yeah, yeah. They just. I was just about to say what a pair of idiots, but they definitely deserve a more vile name because they've killed a man. Like, And would they have, would they have recognised in their drunken state at this stage that he'd have died? Well, they... First thing they did was go to a friend's house to wash the bloodstained clothes. Yeah, but... So they, they were aware enough to do that, to know that yeah. they had to give it of evidence. Okay, okay, yeah. But maybe not if he died. Or, he wasn't dead by then, was he? I know he wasn't dead, yeah. but would they have realised that their their beating could have left him dead? I don't, I don't know. It's subjective, isn't it, opinion? Yeah. But I, you'd think yes. From what I can gather, 
yes. Okay. Um, but who knows? So they would both be charged with murder. No option of manslaughter. So the prosecution weren't even giving that out in case they were found not guilty. Just murder. And they would both plead not guilty to murder. During the trial, Samuel didn't give evidence, but his brother did. He would say, and this goes on to what you were saying earlier, he would say that he had no intention of killing Chowdhury and that it was just a robbery gone wrong. Now, he also contradicts himself here, but we'll go into that in a moment. Now, evidence in the trial would be quite damning, though. Firstly, you had the bloodstained clothes that the police recorded from their friend's washing machine, and she had left them there when she saw them in there and uh, contacted the police straight away. Well, not straight away, but as soon as she saw that they'd been arrested, she contacted the police and said, hey, these clothes are in my washing machine. Good honour, good honour. Now, the blood on the clothes matched Chowdhury's blood. Secondly, there was the CCTV, which saw them approaching Chowdhury, and another camera, which is a little bit further out, caught portions of the attack, including them slamming his head against cars and kicking him when he was down. So if it's a robbery gone bad, why did they carry an attack at him after he was unconscious? Yeah, exactly. The post-mortem would show that Chowdhury was likely unconscious after one or two minutes. So roughly four to five minutes of the attack was just a savage attack because he can't have been resistant if he wasn't even moving for no other reason than they wanted to. Oh, that's just, that. doesn't that evidence the violence and hate in them? Yes. Jonathan's fingerprint would also be found on a car at the scene of the attack. It was actually a fingerprint in Chowdhury's blood. Additionally, when Jonathan was arrested, he had a damaged foot and hand. He claimed this was caused by the police when he was arrested, but the body cam footage showed that it was a peaceful arrest with no resistance. The prosecution claimed he injured them, punching and kicking Chowdhury. Now, for a lot of the questions, when he was cross-examined on the witness stand about details of the attack, he said he didn't remember because he was too drunk. John, or Jonathan, sorry, Jonathan would go on to say in witness testimony, this is where he contradicted himself, that they approached Chowdhury because they thought he was a sex pest who had been bothering his sister the previous evening in the pub. Something he said he now knew was wrong, as it wasn't Chowdhury. So... He said that it was a robbery gone wrong, but he also said that they approached him because they thought he was a sex pest above the sister. So he actually contradicted himself. He was asked why he went no comment in the police interviews if that was the case, that he thought Chowdy was a sex pest, to which he replied, and this is his quote here, I normally go no comment when arrested. At that time, I had severe memory gaps of what happened. I didn't want to incriminate myself by saying stuff in the interview, that could later turn out to be a lie. I didn't want to shoot myself in the foot. Wow. So unsurprisingly, Rachel, I don't think it's a shock. The pair would be found guilty quite quickly by the jury. In her sentencing remarks, the judge would reveal that between them, the pair had over 66 different convictions, with Jonathan having previous for unprovoked violent attacks and Samuel for robbery at knife point. So they both got previews for violent crimes in the past. And Jonathan for unprovoked violent attacks. Does that sound familiar, Rachel? 
yeah yeah absolutely and that makes more sense that uh because obviously I'd been asking you if it was um if they had been scoping out this guy and like whether they'd been staking out and checking out his routine but no absolutely not it was an opportunistic moment for them to play into their normal behavior to cause havoc on this poor man's like life on us so early on a Sunday morning it's interesting though that you thought or maybe it was a case of mistaken identity and obviously Jonathan thought that was a good defense by saying that I mean, it's basically not true but you could think oh well maybe like in some twisted way you could go maybe it was just a fire attacking him because he thought you were somebody else I know that's not a just not that it makes but, it any better yeah. but yeah it, it it's I guess a judge would take that into consideration when sentencing versus a purely innocent person crossing the road and these two men taking an opportunity to beat the living daylights out of him. Yes, indeed. The judge went on to say that the attack was just savage and it was blatantly obvious that they enjoyed it. And even though they said they couldn't remember most of it because they were drunk, they still had the foresight to go to try and wash their clothes to get rid of evidence. The pair would go on to be sentenced to life with a minimum term of, can you guess how long they got here? Um, I, I'm hoping because of its brutality and randomness that it's a lengthy sentence. So maybe like 15 or 16 years each minimum. They both got a minimum term of 28 years <gasps> each. Oh, wow. That's, that's amazing, isn't it? And like, just to, just to like, you know, a, a man has lost his life here and, it, you know, nothing can bring him back or bring the family any comfort in, in the loss, but you will sleep better at night knowing that these two awful human beings are behind bars for, you know, the best part of the, the heydays, hey? Yes. After the trial and the victim impact statements, Chowdhury's wife would go on to say that she struggles to cope without him, that she now has two young children to look after will grow up without a father and his daughter, because he's she ended up giving birth to a, a, a girl, was born without ever seeing him or without ever her seeing his, her dad. Gosh, and, and you do you do wonder, you can't help but wonder what's on their minds in those last moments, you know, that, that yeah. they're thinking, got it. And I would imagine with such a kind and caring man, he's just hoping that they're not going to, enter the flat and carry out that brutality on his family. That was probably his biggest fear, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, definitely, yeah. And because you don't know what he was thinking. He might have been thinking, well, this might be a racist attack, so they go after him. Yeah, yeah. It might be the racist. We don't know. It could have been. They could have seen, well, look, there's an Asian man there. I don't know. I'm not saying it was, but who knows what went through their minds. Other family members would go on to say, that he was well-loved and how much he was missed and they hoped a pair would never get out. But they felt that 28 years minimum was the second best thing. The local community would show its affection for Chowdhury by laying flowers at his door of the shop with heartfelt messages in them. That goes to show because he wasn't just a person who owned the shop. They obviously cared about him, didn't they? 
Yeah, no, obviously. Two days. He doesn't fin- finish there, though. Rachel, you're going to find this mind-boggling. Two days after they were sentenced, news reports would be released that a convicted killer would escape from a Belfast prison. That convicted killer was Samuel McKinley. But, Rachel, it wasn't the Samuel McKinley that I've just been talking about. It was a brother's father. Samuel McKinley Sr. had killed a man back in 1996. It was a friend of his. Oh, my God. Yeah, when they'd gotten into a fight and he'd stabbed him to death. And he'd been in prison ever since. He what? was caught, yeah, he he was caught a few weeks later. But can you believe it? At the time, it was his fifth prison escape. How on earth was he not in a room with like five walls protecting him? <laughs> it was day releases. No, when they get towards the end of the sentences, oh, they go okay. up for like released to work in a day and stuff like that. Every time and they, just... they let him out five times before they realized he was what? not. Well, as of 2021, that's the last report I could find, they'd actually added another one. So we'd had six prison escapes. Oh, my God. I said, I wanted to add that in. I know it's not linked to the two brothers or the murder of Chowdhury, but for two reasons. Firstly, I think our listeners, and I thought you and your reaction proved it, would find it amazing someone can go on the run six times and escape six times. Albeit he got caught very quickly after each time, but he's a convicted killer. Surely... Like the day releases and the work releases are to get someone prepared to go out into the community if they can't be trusted and they've escaped it one, once, twice, three times, four times. At what point do they go? Maybe this person needs to spend more time behind bars so they can obviously develop themselves so they're not going to escape as soon as we let them out. Because why would you when? It's basically the first step in a long process to get released from prison anyway. Yeah. It just yeah, it's just mind boggling. But the second reason why I wanted to put that in there, because I think it raises an interesting question about his two sons. Were their lives influenced by their father and his crimes? So did it make them want to become a criminal? Or the opposite? Did they become criminals because their lives had been ruined by their father going to prison for murder? Or is it just a pure coincidence? And can there be any link between the two? What do you think? I I think it's a real cop-out to say that their father ruined their lives. So, you know, they, they ran into a life of crime. How often do you hear and see of men and women as children of awful, you know, serial killers, uh, criminals, um, you know, and, and, uh, and others that go on and use their experiences for the better like i no, i just think that these two men had evil inside them i can't say i disagree fully with you there um so and what about the case then Rachel? what do you think about the actual case oh it's just heartbreaking case as always uh a senseless death um you know these pair were out looking for trouble basically um, and that's evidenced by several members of the public calling the police in the run-up to the event and the police coming out to speak to them about their disorderly behaviour twice that night. And could have so easily been, their plan could have so easily been disrupted by being held in a cell, but I'm not blaming the police because what do you do? Do you take everyone that's drunk and disorderly like, and bang them up overnight? 
you know, they, then they're going to have a problem, aren't they? So, oh, just a heartbreaking case. I really feel for the wife um, and the children and everyone that's been left without such a fine man and pillar of the community in their lives. Yeah, yeah. I think you've said that perfectly. Should I wrap this up then, Rachel? Yes, yeah. So this has been Season 3, Episode 13, called Like Father, Like Sons. And if it's safe for you to do so, and I call you to relax, close your eyes and picture the scene. Now, we often talk about the good and the bad qualities of the police on this show. Should there be better procedures in place that could identify that when the police spoke to Jonathan and Samuel just 15 minutes before the attack, that it would flag that they were both violent criminals, that they'd already been spoken to earlier about threatening behaviour, and combined with their obvious drunken state, would it then make the police do something different? And if they had, maybe Chowdhury would still be alive and enjoying his family as he should be. We're taking a mid-season break next week. So we'll be back the week after next with more true crime so looking forward to catching up with you all soon so thank you everyone for listening and we shall see you next week yes thanks for tuning in guys and yep chat to you next week